Hello and welcome to episode 389 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you back in Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. And how fitting that you are back in Renton, Washington for the, of course, Doug Baldwin edition of the Pelton cast. Oh, that is perfectly fitting. Shouts as always to Doug Baldwin Jr. in the Family First Community Center here in beautiful Renton, Washington. Seems like people are using it. People are going in there. there. (laughs) People are. The Storm held a clinic there recently. I think it was the same night he was coming to your place for the Halloween party. Really? The Storm had a clinic there? Yeah. That's awesome. Doug Baldwin was there as well as Storm GM Talisa Ria. So nice. Yeah, there you go. Things were things were happening. Things were were happening. Uh well, it is still technically the home of the first place in the NFC West, Seattle Seahawks, yeah. even if it doesn't really feel like that. It's because of the tiebreaker? Tie no, that's not why it doesn't feel like it. No, no, no. I'm just saying, are they still technically first place? Because they don't win the tiebreaker. Eh, I don't think you apply the tiebreaker at this point, especially okay. when the teams haven't even played head-to-head yet. All right. That's my position on this. Also, don't say if the season ended today, because it doesn't. Home of the first first place, Seattle. Seattle Seahawks. That's about the way to put it. Well, we'll come back to the Seahawks later on in this pod. Uh, we have no beer this week because I was traveling home from LA earlier today. Okay. And did not pick any up uh, except for your Heineken Zero. There we go. Uh, but we we still have some toasts, and we'll start by noting to everyone: please check out the Pelton Cast Discord. Hello. Which is, it's popping. Is it popping? There's there's active discussion there. Wow. At least relative to what it was uh, the first 24 hours. <laughs> where it was like three of us. So I've made a clean break from Twitter. You're done. I'm done. You're done with Twitter. Under current management, I'm done with Twitter. Wow. That is wild. Personally, professionally, every single capacity, you are done with Twitter. That is I was wondering if that was the Discord, if that was why the move to Discord. That was, I mean, people have suggested it repeatedly in the past. I think it... I trial ballooned it on a podcast and didn't hear a lot of positive feedback. <laughs> but anyways, a number of people have already joined and hopefully people who don't have already given up on Twitter or never were there in the first place and therefore did not see about the Discord will hear about it now and check out the link in the post note. Well, there you go. Have you posted on Instagram? No, I probably should do that as well. Okay, yeah, Mrs. Fantasy Genius said to do that. Yeah. Post the invite on Instagram because you're course. not done with Instagram. I'm uh, not done with that now. No, it's a fun community. There's stuff to talk about about sports in a in a much more it's so much easier to talk on Discord than it is on Twitter. Exactly. And like on Twitter, you're like typing out a response and it lives there. But it's sort of like a back and forth conversation on Discord, and I do appreciate that more. It's I'm just more... explaining Discord right now. <laughs> Thanks. Is there any other social media <laughs> platforms you'd like to explain? Instagram is kind of like you know you've got the grid, and those are photos that live there for like a longer, bigger stories, things like that. And then you also have Instagram Stories, but then. There's there's Instagram Reels as well, which is kind of like the TikTok ripoff. So it's kind of like, you know, they ripped off Snapchat with the stories. I do. Is that helpful? <laughs> Thanks. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to bring Jan on for this. <laughs> she, would, she would say that you released a post or what did she say? <laughs> She's like, send the, out? the photos you sent out on. Yeah. Yeah. The photos you sent out on Facebook. <laughs> Let's hear from Jan strictly on social media. <laughs> on social correspondent. See, is it just the 
podcast social correspondent. It is like on on Saturday Night Live when they have the like social social correspondent. It's like an eighty year old. Jan is the actual version of that. Uh, yes, right. we should have an etiquette conversation. Don't <laughs> monthly our our etiquette correspondent should be Jan because her etiquette is different than any other human being on the face of the earth. That is. That's definitely she correct. has an ethos. It's different than anybody else, but there is an ethos. There, say what you want. There is an ethos. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the real tests. Uh, congrats to Dylan Johnson and Parker Trails for a named Pac-12 Offensive Player and Offensive Lineman of the Week, respectively, after Johnson ran for 256 all. yards. Saturday against that's what these German scores had it. Uh, Saturday against USC, the fifth most in school history with Brailsford helping open those lanes for him. How exactly did they determine Parker Brailsford of the five? I know, I, l- I love it. They're like, yeah, but Parker Brailsford. The vibes are good nonetheless. Uh, congrats to the Seahawks, Devin Witherspoon, named Defensive Rookie of the Month for October when he recorded two sacks and a pick six. Who was the Rookie the of the month? month for September? Defensive Rookie of the Month? Yeah. I mean, I assume it had to be Jalen Carter. I don't. I watched. Look, congrats to Devin Witherspoon. Awesome month. I watched a lot of that Cowboys Eagles game that happened yesterday, and so many other Eagles made plays. And I love that everybody, like Hassan Reddick, gets a sack, and people are like, "But Jalen Carter." Everybody else on the Eagles. You know, like, PFF actually watches all 11 players on every play with I the coaches like film that you're not getting while you're watching the broadcast. So the defensive rookie of the year odds you think are that influenced by PFF? I mean, I think that the priors have been confirmed. It was an inside job, this, this defensive rookie of the year. Chris Collinsworth is running the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. He's got a lot of money on Jalen Carter. Uh, okay. Devin Witherspoon is the fourth Seahawks player to win this honor without looking at my screen. Defensive Rookie you, of the Year. Defensive Rookie of the Month. Of the Month, sorry. Can you guess who the other three were to do so? I'm going to guess that Earl Thomas won it. Nope. Cam Chancellor? Nope. Bobby Wagner? Nope. Wow! <laughs> uh, Cortez Kennedy? Nope. I don't know when they started the defensive. The boss was though. never good, right? No, not really. Who was a good rookie? <laughs> can I? Can I, I don't want an era just yet. I mean, there is one fairly obvious one you're missing. Is there? Yeah. Did Jordan Brooks win one? No. Reek. Yes. That's that the obvious go, one. You have to go all the way back to 2022. I I honestly was thinking of more like long term notable players. The other two. Do you want an era? Sure. They both played in the Mike Holmgren era. A defensive rookie of the year in the Mike Holmgren era. Yes. One of them like pretty much peaked as a rookie, I would say. Oh, Ken Hamlin? No. That was a pretty good guess though, wasn't it? I it's in the ballpark. That that perhaps fits that description. Yeah, I would I would concede that. Peaked as a rookie. It wasn't Michael Bulware, right? No. He had that one monster play. Much more notable than than these players. I really have no idea. 
Lofa Tatupa. Oh, that's such an obvious one. Yeah. The other one God. is Rocky Bernard. We could be here all night. Rocky Bernard? And you would Good never guess him. that one. Wait, maybe, you said there were four? Maybe his PFF. Well, he's the fourth. The Spoon is the fourth. Correct. Wow. Okay. Offensive rookies of the month. They might not the go way. back I, that far. I didn't see this list. Yeah, I don't know when they started this award. There have been Lofa three offensive a, rookies. such an obvious one. Three offensive rookies of the month for the Seahawks. Uh, Ken Walker. Correct. I assume Russ won one. Correct. And Sean Alexander? Did not. I mean, he didn't play that much as a rookie. He was year didn't two, he have really. Some, like monster. Maybe that was year two, he yeah. had monster games. Where you had like the. Thomas Rawls? No. He was the best running back in the NFL for a month. I, I don't know if he was for a full month. It may have spanned October and November. <laughs> uh, this is about the same era, though, right? As. As these players, like it's not like the '80s or something. No, it's not like Joey Galloway. Like that, that's too far back. Correct. Corin Robinson. No. What what period is this one? '90s. '90s. Oh, it would have felt like they wouldn't have given it to an offensive lineman, right? Or would they? Is Walt Jones? Walter Jones is the other one. Wow. Okay. There you go. All right, complete our toast. Congrats to J.P. Crawford, Cal Raleigh, and Julio Rodriguez, all named finalists for Silver Slugger at the posi- their positions. The Mariners are also a finalist for the team award, which is a nonsensical award. <laughs> what? Because you could just give it to the team that scored the most runs. <laughs> By definition, they're the Silver Slugger team. I, I, I really think that the Rangers have a good shot at that one. <laughs> I, I, I do like their odds. I do not like the Mariners' odds at this one. All right, well, we'll talk a little more Mariners heading into oh, free yeah, agency later news. in the pod. We've got all sorts of transact to talk about. I, Trader Jerry's been busy. I did not do research on the backup catcher they acquired. <laughs> the double-A backup catcher? <laughs> I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> uh, but I thought we should start by going back to Saturday night. Utah beating USC in prime time at the Coliseum. With me in attendance, and you also in the city of Los Angeles, but not at the game. That's all that matters. Uh, okay, so you were there. I was there. Tell me about it. We basically haven't talked about this at all. We have not. That's correct. Uh, so we both mentioned yours more so than mine, because as we talked about on last week's pod, you were flying the in the day of the game and out, or in, in the, the day, day before, before and I out did, the day after. I did the travel as if you were going to the game. I mean, like midday on the day before. And then in the morning, the day after. Yes, if you were like going to the game and spending the least time in LA possible. Those flights were not cheap, and I did not know why until I got to the airport and looked around. <laughs> that never processed you. Literally, you knew that I was not flying to LA for the mind. game. Not once. There were so many things about that flight that were just like classic. Like people, people know how to travel. Very much classic Husky fans. It was into Burbank. Yes. Number one. If you're in oh, the yeah. know, you know to fly to Burbank. Oh, yeah. You know you know who was on my flight. I, I, you do know because I told you Bob in the Rondo. chat. Bob Rondo. Shots to Did Bob. you go to, you went to Burbank also? I, of course. Oh, okay. Who do you think I am? Number two, there were like literally, you check, You ever checked the wait list, right? Yeah. There were literally 60 plus people how, on the wait how list. How low among them were you? I guess I, you paid I was, a high I price for I wasn't on ticket. there. You weren't even on there? Because I had two tickets. Uh, so I didn't have like a single... I, I would have probably been in the 50s yeah. or whatever. I didn't have the chance to well, upgrade. I was, I was near the very bottom of my list, that's for sure. Uh, and then every single person, it was TSA PreCheck or Clear, Alaska MVP, 
into Burbank. That was like that was the trifecta <laughs> of people traveling down there with the husky polo on. I mean, even, it was a wild group, and I'm there indescript. You know what I mean? People would have assumed I had nothing. They would have been like, "Yeah, a lot of Husky fans, a few non-Husky fans here," and that was me. Well, you weren't traveling for the Husky game. I, I no, it actually made traveling. me angry seeing all the Husky fans, partially just because of how annoying it was going through like TSA pre-check or whatever with all of them. But in Burbank? No, 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 no. It actually was enough to affect the total number of TSA pre-check in Seattle. Absolutely, it was. I, every every I'm single look, they moved through that line fast. It was a short pre-check line because it was midday, but like every single person in that pre-check line was a Husky fan. I tried the save spot because my traveling companion was not uh, does not have pre-check. I don't even understand how that works. And let me tell you, like the Costco hot hamburger. I cannot recommend anyone use the same spot saver <laughs> program at CPAC. If you could use the spots, if it worked, it wouldn't work. Does that make sense? Well, the idea is they're supposed to cap the number of people so that it moves faster. How do you? But how they does did the not correctly cap work? the number of people. Where do you go when they save a spot? There's, Literally, there's what is designated the lines for, for it. This, there's a designated save a spot line. Yeah. And you can only enter it within 15 minutes either way. I mean, it's it's if it worked correctly, it would be like. Lightning Lane at Disneyland. So okay. they did successfully <laughs> use this weekend. Does Lightning Lane work, though? Oh, yes. Okay, yes, it Lightning does. Works. Worked very well. Anyways. Uh, so Saturday, get to the stadium. I, I got down there kind of late. Uh, walked through the USC campus a little bit just to check it out. Had never been to the Coliseum. Have never been in that area, period, I've of, done that. of LA. It's nice. It's it's very nice, and so they're tailgating. Uh, there are a few tailgates. There's like limited parking near the stadium. The tailgating is just like they carve out patches of grass on the campus, and okay. people show up and tailgate. And it felt similar to the Stanford tailgate that we once attended. It felt very bougie. <laughs> I think it is. And it's I'm a private sure. college in the I'm, city of Los Angeles. It is, but I'm saying that like sometimes stereotypes exist for a reason. Yeah. Uh, are correct. And I would say that the the fans in general, just in the stadium, it was like very much being among the beautiful and chosen people. Is how I <laughs> At felt. USC? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I say this, like, look, UW is not little sisters of the poor here. We have our TSA pre-check and our yeah, MVP yeah. status, but there's still levels to this shit. USC is different. Like, people are, like, styled to come to the game. That's in a way that hilarious. you couldn't it you dub because you have to prepare for the sheets of rain yes. that are going to be falling on you. How would you compare it to Stanford? Because the thing my takeaway from Stanford was quite old and disinterested. No, not not like very young. I'm not very young. I mean, obviously, you know, it's a and it was alumni weekend, so there was a lot of people back for homecoming. Not a, not that many, am I right? A lot of open seats there at the Coliseum. I mean, the attendance was still higher than at the UW Oregon game. They just have a really <laughs> fucking big stadium. It's in LA, percentage wise. There was a better attendance for UW Oregon, and there was a lot of Husky fans there. I will say that. Hell yeah, there were not that many Oregon fans, as noted. And there were there were still a good number of Oregon fans. We never like made that much noise because the USC game operations didn't like set up easy opportunities for Oregon fan for UW fans to chant. Weird, weird that they wouldn't do that. Uh. But yeah, I mean, like, and, and the other thing that really stood out, the Coliseum experience overall, a little challenging. The bathrooms are like a million miles from your seat. Uh, I mean, what year was it made? 1923. It's <laughs> literally 100 years old. Yeah. 
There, in the early nineteen in the nineteen twenties, people didn't need bathrooms near them. We had to walk around like sixty percent of the stadium to get to the gate that we were allowed to go in because you had to go in the gate near your section. Oh, that's so stupid! I hate that. That was quite annoying. Uh, but once you get in the actual stadium, like it is gorgeous. And really, there's something about the 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 sun in L.A. Particularly, I mean, it was at Golden Hour when this game kicked off. Yeah, like. It was kind of chilly at night. Oh, yeah. Definitely needed the hoodie. There's just something about the colors in L.A. that look more vibrant than anywhere else. It was really quite incredible. I with agree the, And so at the between the third and fourth quarter, they light the torch, which that's, you know, UW is trying to create a tradition with this whole Purple Haze thing. That's a real tradition. Purple Rain? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yes, not Purple Haze. Different song. The Purple Rain is... Not a bad... Th- I think they have an idea. They've, they've got a thing. I think they actually figured it out. They should just put that between the first and second quarters, yes. where right now they have... I forget what generic 80s song they have. And they do Don't Stop Believing. Sure. Yeah. Which has no tie to UW or UW football or anything. No, that one's kind of, that one's kind of an L. The, the, the Purple Rain thing, though, is a good thing. It's cool. It's just not a hype it is a very slow song. It's a chill thing. To play between the third and fourth quarter. Yeah. It was also, I think, when you play it for a victory. Oh, yeah. It worked perfect with people on the field after the <laughs> Oregon game. I'm, I, so I'm you're not in favor. saying that Everybody should just go on the field. <laughs> Look. Don't take my words out of context here. <laughs> Always on the field. When Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma, the, fan, the fans rushed the stadium, and I was just like, this team lost to Kansas last week. I get that it's the last bedlam ever, but like, come on, act like you've been there. I I respect it, <laughs> even though I, even if I don't agree I with it, like I respect it. I feel field storming has become much more prevalent this year. Oh. I, th- I think there's more field storming. I think it's happened over time. Uh, they the- took the goalposts and threw them into a lake. <laughs> <laughs> this actually happened. Wait, this week Kansas did. Wait, did they? Yes, I didn't know that. Is the uh, honestly, it is truly excellent. Wow. It is. That's one of the things when people complain about college football, and I'm like, the kids tore down the goalposts and threw them into a lake. How can you not be for this? Did you see the pool? <laughs> uh, anyways, the USC crowd. Yeah, we talked about angst on last week's pod. Angst level's pretty high. Oh, on USC angst. fans, and especially. After the Huskies took the lead at the end of the first half and marched the ball down the field at the start of the second half, like I could feel in my bones how badly USC fans wanted to boo their defense. (laughs) (laughs) They were desperate to boo their defense. And then that fluke tipped interception. I I haven't even seen it. I had no idea how there was an interception. And bailed them out. It could have been the Huskies taking a two-touchdown lead at that point. The game plays out totally differently. From that point on, instead, USC stayed in the game. They had a luck. It was a lucky tip pick. I mean, I you know, like, look, there's been a lot of Michael Penix Jr. tipped passes lately, which is not not ideal. But a lot of them have also been finding their ways directly to defenders, which sometimes they just fall harmlessly to the <sighs> ground. I mean, it it did feel like we can't really complain about it. It was sort of a like we got one at the end of the half, and then they got one to begin the half. They did. And so it, it was when, karmically, it felt like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, and, and for some reason, they seem very convinced that, like, they should have fired Alex Grinch last week as if that would have changed something. Like, 
the defensive coordinator is in your room. Defensive coordinator is not changing that much between week seven, week eight, and week nine of the season. Or I, I think they're nine and ten. I they only have two weeks feel left. Feel like they probably should have fired Alex Grinch after basically every game they played. So I don't know if I agree with that because I do think there is a. I just don't know what it's doing midseason. There, Did you really feel a difference after the Huskies fired Jimmy Lake midseason? Which, by oh, the way, there was a little bit almost, of energy for a almost second. two years ago to the day. Well, yeah, then the energy, then they played games and the energy was lost it because was the coaching was not good. I think there was at least one game. I mean, obviously, like the reason to do it midseason is to set you up to hire a replacement more quickly at the end of the they season. They knew they're going to fire Alex Grinch. But it's not like they <laughs> like, lost that game because of the fact that Alex Grinch was the defensive coordinator. They did not. No, I agree with you. I mean, they lost the game because of the defense, but probably not specifically Alex Grinch or at this point. Yes. It's just too late. Like, if you're going to make that change, it's got to be, in a meaningful way, it's got to be before the season. There's nothing a defensive coordinator is doing at this point that is going to change. So did they ever, they never booed the defense? They, they grumbled a little bit, but <laughs> it's, I mean, the vibes on both sides. It's a lot harder to boo a defense than an offense, I he's feel like. He's like, as, as unconfident as USC fans were about their team's chances, mm-hmm. so were UW fans relative any time USC had the oh, ball. They, you assume they were scoring a touchdown every single time they touched the ball. Yeah, it, which was right for most of the game. And Caleb Williams had one of the more magnificent, like, improvisational games. Speaking of someone who watched Russell Wilson through his prime, like there were a lot of plays like that. The spin move that he hit was incredibly... You've seen that, right? No, I've seen like three plays. Well, I've seen three plays before the very end. I watched the fourth quarter-ish. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't... That like didn't necessarily gain a lot of yards. He had already picked up the first down, but it was just like... I forget which, which cornerback it was, maybe Elijah Jackson, but just completely shook him... And it was an incredible play to get out of the sack and throw the touchdown. I think that was, was that on fourth and one, that play? I, I can't remember. But like just time after time, so much pressure on him all game. Braylon Trice, most pressures of any player really? in FBS last week for the second consecutive week. Really? FF tracking. So you would say that the defense overall, structurally speaking, process-wise, maybe wasn't that bad, even though they gave up whatever... The run defense still some issues. The same thing that we saw against Stanford where the run fits in terms of just there's a giant wide gaping hole to run through, which obviously you have benefited from on the other side. So they weren't the only ones. Oh, they fired Alex Grinch. They did, yes. Oh, I didn't realize week. that. Yes. I don't think it's going to help them beat Oregon this weekend. If they beat Oregon this weekend and their defense plays better, and we're coming t- back to this conversation. Okay, we'll, we'll do it. We I'm, should definitely be cheering for them to beat Oregon also. I suppose so. Uh, Caleb Williams, at times it felt like the Huskies were better off not pressuring him because of the fact that you know they would lose contain and Caleb Williams would find a route out of it somehow. But obviously that wasn't the case, and ultimately the game was won by Zion Tupul of Fatui playing with a heavy heart after the passing of his father the previous week, uh, forcing a fumble, and then the void to Unufi sack on third down that, uh, you know, when USC had the ball with a chance to take the lead with a touchdown, and then, you know, the final drive, additional pressure. But What is going through your head there on that drive? When USC has the ball? Yes. Oh, I hope that... It, the, the only scenario I saw where UW was going to win the game was 
if you USC scored a touchdown to go ahead and then UW managed the clock yes. such that they scored a touchdown and USC didn't have a final possess- real possession. I actually think we timed it kind of well in the way that, in in the weird way that I was thinking this with the Oregon game where I was like, this could work itself out. Where it's like, they can score a touchdown and then we have enough time to come back and score again and not and leave them with l- such a little amount of time. Which didn't end up happening for UW because they end up scoring way too fast. But it was like, against Oregon. Yeah. But it was like, there's a way to make this happen in this back and forth football game but US- where you're going to be last. But you need to yeah. score a touchdown. Yeah. yeah. And that was kind of the vibe that I had going into that drive. I mean, literally every single time. I, so I'm like, during the wedding checking my phone or whatever, like as the actual ceremony is happening. Like it would have been pretty hard to have been watching dur- during that. <laughs> and every time I look down, it's just like Challenge touchdown, accepted. touchdown USC, touchdown UW, touchdown USC, touchdown UW. And I'm not, I have no idea basically what's going on the entire game. And then I look back at it, you know, I, I'm trying to put it away, be a normal human being or whatever. But in the back of my mind, there was one point where I was like, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety right now. And I was talking to, to Mrs. Fantasy Genius and I was like, oh, it's because of football. Like I'm thinking about football right now more than anything else. Uh, somebody handed me a cigar early on, like right after the ceremony. They were like, we're going to smoke these later. And I was like, I sure as hell hope that we're going to smoke these later. There you go. Uh, because at the ver- the second that I saw uh, that USC had gotten the ball with two minutes left and the Huskies were up 10, I put- took that cigar, put it behind my ear, and I was like, we're – it's time. So <laughs> that was an awesome moment that happened in that situation. It's a great way to experience this game. But I glanced at my phone when there was like UW had scored the touchdown. There was like a minute left before the half. And I just looked at it really quickly and I was like 35, 28. And I was like, fuck. And I was like, wait, UW 35, 28. It was kind of like, how did that happen? Because that was the big change initially. That was, was well, I mean, we talked about UW just needed a turnover in this one, which they hadn't forced a lot of this season. And that was, that was it. They got it. And then, so I was paying a little bit more attention in the second half. I was actually able to watch for pretty large chunks in the second half. And two perspectives. I, I have a hater's guide to Caleb Williams, but oh. the before then, I was basically just like, they're kind of running a lot of garbage, USC. I don't I, know that I would say garbage. They are running a lot of wide receiver screens. The offense is heavily designed. I mean, it is an air raid offense. Around, but like to me, that, that's a fine offense. But you're going to get some holdings occasionally. And if you recall that sack that happened, it was after a big play that USC got that got called back because of a hold. It was a third and seven. Was it a touchdown to Tosh Washington? No, it wasn't a touchdown. Okay, but he got he had picked up the first down, uh, and then it ended up being a six-yard penalty because the holding was, in fact, beyond the line of scrimmage. And I was like, give me one penalty. That's what I feel like needs to happen. If UW is defending on second and 20, I think there's an okay shot at stopping USC. But those were what the circumstances needed to be. That's how good that offense is and how bad the UW defense is. But a couple of things that they do by making their offense that way, obviously it spreads. It's a genius offense in college. It's one of those things, though, where I'm like... Especially if you can also throw the ball deep, which they also did. And also if you throw in a play that, like, nobody has ever seen before. No, it was the most... I saw, like, one... I haven't even seen the full play. It was the most impressive flea flicker I've ever seen in my entire life. When I saw it live, I... Honestly, 100% thought, 
Oh, he just panicked and threw the ball to Caleb Williams. Your shirt was designed? Yes. Okay, it yes. was a design. I, I, I think they've talked about it. Certainly the way the UW coaches talked about it. It was designed. Oh, it was. I was like, damn! Because also, like, what my first thought was, well, somebody must have gone downfield. One of the offensive linemen must have gone downfield because if it actually was yes. a receiver's screen, that would have happened, and you couldn't throw the ball past the line of scrimmage. So so they, they clearly that's waited. that's why that, you yeah. know it's a design play. But even when I watched the replay, I was like... No, I, that's I where I saw it. Believe it. That's that's where I, I saw the replay on. It was on the fucking LA news, and they're like rough night for teams in LA. And I was like, "You're damn straight." It was, uh, and the Lakers lost too. Uh, There's no beating the Supersonics that night, but they showed the highlights of it, and I was like, "They're just showing some run that he broke." And I was like, "Oh my!" I was taken aback. That's how good of a play <laughs> call that was. Aback. And th- there was the touchdown that it was like I couldn't even be mad. I was just impressed. No. There was a touch. I saw it on my phone pop up as like whatever a forty yard flea flicker, and I was just like, "I'm sure the defense just got tricked or whatever." It was one of those things where I couldn't blame them too much. The touchdown that he threw to the sideline, where the receiver came back, dragged his feet, ended up getting two feet in. Yeah. That was that was the most impressive throw that I saw from Caleb Williams. The creativity stuff is good. I will say, if I was an NFL team, this is not talking about character or whatever, I would be a little bit nervous. I still, I think he's the number one pick in the draft. I think he's, I would trade almost any player aside from Devin Witherspoon for Caleb Williams to be the Seahawks quarterback next year. But seeing there was a stat that they had about how much time he has to throw in the pocket. And it's the most, I think it's definitely the most in the Pac-12 and it might've been the most in the country. I'm shocked by that because he was under pressure all night last night. And we talked, that was something we talked about going into the game was like his passing stats have all been better last year than when he won the Heisman. But the offense hasn't been as good because he keeps, because USC has allowed many more sacks this season. Sacks are a quarterback stat sometimes. And I think there's a little bit of that that's happening in the the sacks. He's had a lot of time to throw. And that would be a thing that would make me nervous because in the NFL, nobody has a lot of time to throw. Like it is, it is a different level. You certainly can't count on. It. And the other piece is those passes. Like that. But I is, feel like that was kind not of the, an offense. In the that NFL. was kind of the criticism of Stroud, wasn't it? That like, oh, he had such an easy situation at Ohio State. It's really hard to tell because sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong. Yep. You know, you know what I mean. And and that's why it's difficult. Same with Trevor Lawrence, right? Trevor Lawrence had tons of time. It took him a while to get there to adjust to the NFL. But now you would say mm, Trevor Lawrence. I think it took him a time to get, a year to get the right coach. I mean, that too, but it's not like he was excellent right away. Trevor, no. Trevor Lawrence even still is not like an amazing quarterback no. or whatever. But, but so, sometimes, and then sometimes players who have a bunch of time to throw end up being bad because it's a lot harder. So you have situations on both ends. That's why it's very hard to evaluate quarterbacks. I still would have Caleb Williams as the number one pick by far. Yeah. But like, <clears throat> and I think he's extraordinarily impressive. He also looks like Pat Mahomes. When he's, when he's moving around. So yeah. it's really hard to not see Patrick Mahomes when you're watching Caleb Williams because of he moves very, very smoothly. He could do the scrambling thing. He's probably a better runner than Mahomes, who's like deceptively good runner or whatever. But like he can throw down field. He could do those passes. He can make those passes where he's throwing to a spot. The receiver wasn't even looking. He did miss a couple of deep balls in this game, which the Huskies did as well. There was a couple of... of you know, situations. I think Jalen Polk had his defender beat and it was just like a little bit past him, which, you know, makes sense because if it were really easy to complete deep passes, everyone would just throw them every play. <laughs> kind of works against us. <laughs> oh, but, no. But there were a few plays that the Huskies made 
all of the conversation about the offense and whether it's broken. Obviously, you're playing USC, one of the worst defenses probably in the country. But a lot better defense than Stanford over the course of the season. It's wild. <laughs> and this, there was nothing about this offense that looked broken at all. I'm old enough to remember when people were angsty about the Husky offense, and I thought that was stupid in the moment, and I continue to think that's stupid, I and hopefully say, I will not regret that. If you, if you want a hater's guide to this Huskies win as well, I don't think they're going to be able to do it on the ground like they did it. It's almost like cheating. You know what I mean? Oh, to be able oh, to handle the ball Do you want to go in the stats? I have let's, a stat on this. Let's go in the stats. The Huskies came into Saturday all season long negative rushing EPA over wow. the course of the season. They had 22.6 rushing EPA against USC. I mean... Joe Judson now is number one in the Pac-12 in rushing EPA. Strictly, it's wild. I don't know where he was before last week, but can't be any, have been anywhere close to that. There's there's a couple things you could point to if you want to point to this and say that this actually does portend well for the future. At this point, it doesn't fucking matter. You just need to win games. There's exactly. three left. We don't need to really worry too much about what it means or anything like I, that. What it looks like. Processes out the window. You gotta beat Utah and you gotta beat Oregon State and you have to beat Wazoo and then God forbid whoever they're playing in the Pac-12 championship, if they were to get there. In the unlikely scenario, they were to play in the Pac-12 championship. But all, all that matters is these three games, and it doesn't really matter the process. What I'm saying is that if, if you want to look at it positively, you would say that the offense, Michael Penix being healthy, being able to throw the ball more efficiently, opened up the lanes, the, the offensive line getting healthier. Like, there are some things that happened in this game that weren't just that, like, Penix had to make plays, right? The touchdown that he threw to I mean, Devin USC Cole. is a bad run defense. They have not been this bad of a run defense at so, any point. It was funny watching these defenses where I just felt like they were bracing themselves. When I would watch the Husky defense, I was like, they are just bracing for these four of the wide receiver screens and praying that they get a tackle or something, praying that something good would happen. Uh, it was a very strange game to watch, but ultimately... Like we talked about, when you look at the units, the UW offense and the Hus and the USC offense were pretty much the same, and the UW defense was a little bit better, and literally they made the play. Like, <laughs> that's it. There weren't a lot of plays. that There was the play that happens, ETF play in the first half, and then the play at the end of the game, getting the hold. That's it. That, that's the difference in the game. They got the ball back. They punched it in. It was over. Yep. And I was outside smoking a cigar in beautiful Los Angeles, California, with a victory against the USC Trojans, bring on the Utes. And I met up with our tailgating crew who were eight rows behind us in the same section. I thought you were going to say eight sheets to the wind. Oh, so some members of the group were. <laughs> and uh, hung out over the uh, UW tunnel as players were walking off the field. That's to, awesome. To cheer them into the locker room. It was a great time. There was there was some one player I... I I gotta go double check who it was who came into the stands like directly behind us to take photos with his nice. family. So it was fun. I mean, so many players have family there. It's like you have poo-pooed the importance of playing in LA from a recruiting standpoint. Let me tell you, I saw it firsthand how I, important it is. There was somebody who was there was a tweet about there was a USC recruit who was just cheering for UW <laughs> in the game. And I was like, hell yes. I, I do I think that USC will be okay long term. They'll be fine, obviously. There are people are angsty about Lincoln Riley, which is wild. I mean, there's a reality oh, similar to UW. I have no idea who, who the other quarterback is on USC's roster. I would guess it's 
they're going they're going to go tap into the transfer portal and find a quarterback. I think both of these teams. I don't know. They might have a five star recruit sitting there. I I don't remember who USC has recruited recently at QB, but the, that's teams, an option too. Lincoln Riley is the skill of making quarterbacks Heisman Trophy winners and first picks in the draft yeah. is a very desirable thing to a lot yeah. of very good quarterbacks out there. And they'll figure out the defense piece. I, it's not I that hard. I truly don't know if they... I think they will figure out the defense piece. They things won't, they things won't. are getting a lot harder. They have been living in a dream world right now, defensively speaking, especially. Lincoln Riley has coached in the Big 12 and the Pac-12. He's never coached against the Big Ten. Like, the defenses are about to get harder. The weather is about to get harder. I don't really believe that it, there's, like, a schematic advantage for the Big Ten over the Pac-12 I'm not saying that there's a the schematic 12. advantage. And, and I've been on the record as saying I think that the Big Ten will start to look more like the Pac-12 over time in a way that the SEC, like, is not as much. The Big Ten, and, and it might be partially weather-related. I think it's all weather the, there was no weather at bay in Iowa and Minnesota. Like those teams are what they are. <laughs> there's, there's not. But they're come also a time. built the way they are because they play in the weather there. But the, the the ten seven game or whatever happened in like early October, mid October. It but wasn't happening in the snow. I'm just saying, if you plan your team to be low scoring and to be able to win low scoring games, it's going to do that even in other weather. Yes. But then they're also going to go to USC in November, and they're going to get fucking smoked. Maybe. I, I think there are going to be some harder defenses that they play overall. I think that the Big Ten recruits defense better, coaches defense better overall. I, there, there's going to be some questions. If, I, I mean, think, they do it because they have more money. So to that extent, sure. But they also should coach offense better by that logic. So I, I don't buy it. Anyway, I look forward to seeing them in the Big Ten we, the, next, the next time that we, we play them. We have a schedule for for the Big Ten. I don't know if we're going to go into it at this point because that's, that's way too far off. Oh, we have to go in the schedule. No. Not? No. What? It's too far off. We have Michigan coming to Seattle, Washington. I mean, we already... Second ever Big Ten game. Yeah. Uh, Oregon in the final week of the season. Yes. No, it confirmed what we talked about last week about we... Wazoo is going to be somewhere else. Yeah. All right. That's all we can talk about the Big Ten schedule. Yeah. Uh, I... It was great in the last Pac-12 meeting <laughs> of USC versus UW. To get a victory in LA, when you looked at the, when you looked at the schedule preseason, you said to yourself, "This is the hardest game." Now every game again, there's only three left. Every game that remains is the hardest game. Agreed. So it, it doesn't even matter who the opponent is. Every single game is a. This isn't fucking Stanford, Arizona State, or whatever. This is these are must win games. I think the the Huskies understand that the pressure is on at this point. I would be surprised if we saw any performances like we saw in those games against Stanford. And I'm a little bit of a believer in the in the uh, Penix sickness. No, I'm a believer. Uh, I mean, the other thing is like, look, you go back to 2016. That wasn't a great USC team. That, that beat they, UW? That beat UW and, you know, kept them from having a perfect season that, that year. Like USC has been there as a stumbling block a lot of times over the years, less frequently in, in recent years, in part because of the fact that the teams just don't haven't played each other as often uh, under the Pac-12 North-South setup. But that that's a real thing. That's a huge... I, I don't care what's going on with USC defense. No, never I mean, we talked it. about it. It so, was a game that was harder. We just... It was a scary game. I mean, they were on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten game win streak to end the season. 
Oh, in 2016? Yeah, they literally, they won the Rose Bowl beating number five Penn State. Oh, okay, so they, but they were unranked at the time, right? Uh, they were number 20 when okay. they beat us. But so they, basically the same as last year. Uh, that, shouts, that was a good USC team. Shouts to at Doghouse Dog's House 10 on social media for noting the last time the Huskies beat both Oregon and USC the same season. 1996. Really? <laughs> yeah. 1996. <laughs> so it's been a minute. That's don't don't uh, don't don't play this one. Their loss is that there was the good Stanford team that we just beat the shit out of. They got yep. they lost they lost to Alabama in week one. Uh, they lost to Stanford and then at Utah, and then they ran the table after that. Okay. And it wasn't an easy running the table. There was us, who were number four in the country, and Penn State in the—I think that must have been a Saquon Penn State. It was basically the same team we played the year after. Right. Um, but uh, that was a good USC team. That's why we talked about this. This was not an easy game. I don't give a shit what their ranking is after this. Like, I, I don't care about anything else. It was a hard game to win, no matter what. They're still playing the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. USC still gained 500-plus yards. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of Ws to take from it, aside from the one that matters. And that's what really counts, is they got through it. There were also a lot of dubs that were being thrown we up go. at the end of that Dubs game. up. All right, let's get into the roundup. we gotta, we got to move through this, because we obviously have a lot more football to talk, including previewing the game against Utah. Uh, the Seattle Mariners declined to make a qualifying offer to Teoscar Hernandez, which was required to add a compensatory pick if he signed with another team. Uh, that qualifying offer would have guaranteed him a one-year $20.325 million deal if accepted what, what by November What pick 14th. would it have been? Do you know what round? It's different in baseball, but... Uh, it depends on the size of the contract. If the size, total size of the contract is over $50 million, it comes earlier and that he eventually gets. Why would they not just throw it out there? So I think the concern is that he would take it. And if you look at it, only seven players received qualifying offers league-wide, okay. including Shohei Otani. It's not like a common thing. I think they're going to get a good pick for that one. Like I remember this being a deal with Mitch Hanniger last year, who ended up signing a deal for nowhere near this value. And then there's also the element of, I think they might just prefer the team without Teoscar Hernandez at this point. From a financial standpoint, okay. given given his strikeout rate and their concerns about that as a uh, flaw of this Mariners, of this uh, Silver Slugger nominated, they're going to be all offense. contact hitters <laughs> next year. <laughs> they're going to swing back so deeply. I don't far think so. Anyway. I think Julio Rodriguez will probably stay on the roster. There's still a lot of players. I mean, Kellenic is going to be on the roster. We'll, but we'll see. But I mean, there's a. Ch- I wouldn't be shocked if Kellenic got traded. But I like, wouldn't be shocked, but I would be surprised, and I think his presence is part of the reason. There's, they still need a right-handed hitter in this mix, probably. You're probably right that a one-year, $20 million guaranteed offer, even though it doesn't tie you up long-term, is kind of just—it's probably larger than Teo's getting. So I'm not surprised this didn't happen. I don't think this is just the Mariners cheapy out. I think this is how baseball teams run. And the compensatory pick— it's not the same as the NFL where it's a compensatory pick and then they're on your roster the next year. Well, I do think building out the farm system yes. is an important thing. This pick could And the other land. element of it is if you qualify someone that makes the other team potentially has to give up a pick depending on, you know, their status is uh, in terms of the luxury tax, the competitive balance tax, I suppose, technically, and revenue sharing. So it's a drag on their market when you give them this qualifying offer. I'm going to guess that Teo gets like two years, like $30 million or something like that. I think that's a reasonable ballpark. But maybe maybe he prioritizes a longer-term deal 
at this age. I don't know if those are out there. We'll see. Uh, Seattle Kraken split two games on their brief homestand, beating Nashville 4-2 before losing 6-3 to Calgary. Their shooting percentage remains mired in the NHL's bottom 10, helping undo average-ish advanced stats in terms of total shots at 5-on-5. They now head back out on the road to face Arizona and Colorado before returning home to host Edmonton and Colorado, their third matchup. Those two will be their third matchups against the Avalanche in the season's first five weeks. Seattle Sounders in game two of their best of three series with a chance to close out the first sweep in franchise history. There we go. The Sounders went behind early oh, no. on a Paul Ariola score in the sixth minute, then by two goals when Jesus Ferreira converted a penalty in the 18th minute conceded by Nuhu. Jordan Morris gave the Sounders a lifeline by stealing a back pass and scoring a goal in the 48th minute. But uh, despite, by all accounts, that I read gre- dominating the play the rest of the way, they couldn't grab an equalizer before substitute Yadar Obrian finished things off with a goal in the 89th minute. Uh, Dallas managed 1.7 expected goals to 1.1 for the Sounders, so a fairly deserved loss. And the first time in a while, the Sounders have been beaten in terms of XG. Uh, Morris with this one now tied for third in MLS playoff goals, trailing Will Bruin and Raul Ruiz Diaz. That's overall everybody? Yeah. Wow. Sounders played a lot of playoff games. That is wild. And have had a lot of players who've just been around for a long time. Yes, in an MLS for a long time, yeah. In Will Bruin's case. Uh, this sets up a winner-take-all game three, game three Friday night in Seattle. I, Again, at first in franchise history. I'm just history. throwing this out there. I think it's kind of cool. I like... Chris texted me, I'm going to L.A. again for the weekend, so I can't go to this. I probably would have gone to the to the match. Because of the possibility of them playing soccer? Yeah. You know there's going to be a winner? Yeah. And, and then penalties after, like it's going to be tense, it's going to be exciting. I'm just throwing this out there. I think getting to that game three was actually kind of fun. Well, the bad news is they're gonna. If they advance, they will have less time off than their opponent, LAFC, who completed a sweep with a one nothing win in Vancouver. They should have swept on then. Sunday. I mean, so hmm? that's fine. Okay. I I think it is going to be the thing we are doing is all for entertainment purposes, right? It is. We've talked about this. Uh, I don't know if they've really figured it out overall because it doesn't really make sense. When the, in the second round, is it at home and home? No, it's one game. One, one game. game. I'm. I, so they they are maximizing the number of elimination games, I suppose. I th- I think MLS kind of kind of just a little bit might have gotten one here. Wow. Well, you know whose format we may have some questions about is the NWSL because OL Reign snapped the semifinal final streak by continuing their dominance over the hated rival. San Diego Wave, who have yet to beat them in two seasons worth of competitions, including the NWSL regular season, the regular challenge. Not even a rivalry, matchups, really. I mean, literally, none of, none of the players playoffs. or fans know it's a rivalry except for us. <laughs> but also, competitive balance wise, not even close. Veronica Latska delivered the winning goal in the 47th minute on what was meant to be a cross, making her the third player in NWSL history to score in consecutive playoff games during the same year, per our friends at Sounder at Heart. Claudia Dickey managed to stop all four shots on goal, including two from Alex Morgan to preserve the clean sheet. This sets up the third NWSL championship appearance for the Reign, who previously lost to FC Kansas City in both 2014 and 2015. FC, that's what they were back then yeah. before they're the current? Okay. They moved to Salt Lake City and then moved back to Kansas City. There we go. Ram style. How do they, what is the name. current that they're referring to? Well, the Missouri River. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll accept it. And also just like current 
you know, it's got multiple meanings. Uh, the first of those came at home. That was at Starfair Stadium. I was in attendance at that one. It was a bummer. And the second on a neutral field. <laughs> it was a bummer. In Portland. It was. Just so casually dropped in. I was there. It was a bummer. <laughs> it wasn't devastating, but it was a bummer. You figured, like, yeah, they'll probably make it. Rapino is eventually going to win an NWSL Cup, like, you know, the championship. They're, there's no way she's not going to. Uh, this game. We played at the same spot the Sounders just won, San Diego's Snapdragon Stadium. Okay. The Rain will face Gotham FC, which upset the reigning champion Portland Thorns 1-0 in Portland in extra time with Katie Stengel scoring the winner. Uh, Gotham FC was the number six seed entering the playoffs, had to win a pair of road games, beating North Carolina Courage in the opening round before going to Portland. But they finished just one point back of the rain in the standings, so not not a real huge difference between these two teams. Uh, they were led by seven goals from U.S. Women's National Team uh, contributor Lynn Williams. So just as Megan Rapino will now have the opportunity to close out her career in storybook fashion with a first NWSL championship in her final game, so too will defender Allie Krieger, her longtime U.S. Women's National Teammate, close friend, who has also announced her retirement from Gotham FC at season's end. Uh, Krieger also made the uh, championship and lost in 2016 with the Washington Spirit. And then there's the other element of this matchup, besides for the fact that one of these two USWNT stars is going to end their career with a, with a championship. The divided loyalties for Sue Bird, who owns a minority share in Gotham FC. Wow. Has to choose between her team and her fiance. I think she's probably going to choose her fiance. I agree. She was in San Diego last week and not at the Gotham FC game, but she did ask on Instagram earlier, where can I get a Donna Kelsey style split jersey? So Wow. Who knows what tension there might be between That's, Megan It's going to be frosty if that happens. <laughs> If, if I was Megan Rapino, I would note that Sue Bird had a, chan- a chance to win a championship in her final season and didn't. It's true. And she had won many of them. So it wasn't as all or nothing. I mean, not all or nothing. Like, is Sue actually... When wrote- does this match take place? Uh, Saturday night. I, 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 yeah, I don't think I said that earlier. Saturday night, uh, 5 p.m. It'll be on CBS. A lot of soccer. TV. Soccer coming up this weekend. Absolutely. A big weekend uh, of soccer. I'm going to see none of it. But this is another one. I I mean, I would I would be there Saturday night watching if it were possible. Even if the rain were hosting that game, it would have been interesting to see oh, what the crowd would have been like. I was going to say they'd sell it out. I don't know if they'd sell it out. But it would be a, a hearty crowd. I agree. Also, I don't know if they would, be able to, would have been able to host it because the Seahawks are playing at home on Sunday. So I guess from that standpoint, it's it's something. I'd rather have it a neutral field than have to move it to play on the road at Gotham FC, which has happened oh. to them before in the NWSL Challenge Cup. Gotham. Okay. Who plays in New Jersey, of course. Do they really? Yeah. All the soccer. In, well, no, I guess NYCFC All plays the sport. <laughs> but uh, they, the Red Bulls also in New Jersey. I love that the one team that was named for New Jersey got moved to New York and plays there. <laughs> it's... It is really pretty hilarious. It's very I mean, wild. The Devils are also named for okay. New Jersey, in fairness. And they play in New York, too? <laughs> yeah. They play Buffalo, weirdly. <laughs> so Croton on Hudson. This is a big one. I mean, the Reign have been this outstanding team throughout NWSL history, have not managed to parlay it into a championship, and now have this last chance to do it with Megan Rapino on the roster. All right, Utah basketball got underway yes, Monday sir. night, the opening night of the uh, day of 
the NCAA season, a doubleheader at HeckEd. The women dominated and outmatched Sacramento State team 76-28, to forcing 22 turnovers, allowing just 10 field goals on 23% shooting. Sophomores Ella Dean and Hannah Steins, uh, after excelling off the bench as freshmen, moved into the starting lineup for this one, and Ladine led the way with 20 points on 9 of 15. Shooty is the only starter to reach double figures. The freshman heavy bench was strong, too, with wing Ari Long scoring 10 points in her NCAA debut, six points apiece for guards Chloe Briggs and Savia Sellers. The best sign, the Huskies made 11 threes in this one, more than any game last season. They only topped eight once, in fact. So Tina Langley continuing to uh, to build an exciting program at UW. I don't know that we'll learn a lot more about this team on Thursday when they host North Carolina Central as part of another doubleheader. Uh, playing late at night, 8.30 p.m. tip-off, the men took care of business against Bellarmine. Uh, you know what Husky football calls that? Early. Oh, even 8.30 start is even late for Husky football. But the games take a lot longer. It's true. They, it ended about the same time as many of the games do. Uh, Huskies trailed at one point in the first half of this one, a fair bit of the first half of this one, which officially meant it was UW men's basketball season. But as they often do in those situations, really pulled away, had uh, an extended run late in the first half to take the lead, took an eight-point lead to the break, and then outscored Bellarmine 56-30 to in the second half to end up winning this one by 34 points. This kind of, it's it's a low-key kind of big dub. I, I feel like, People are going to underrate the quality of this victory. Bellarmine is no joke, right? It is. It is a. They are a competent Division One college basketball organization. Yeah, I mean, you asked me what Ken Palm had for this game, and the projection was a thirteen-point victory for the Huskies. That's a pretty close game, and by the end, UW crushed them, and didn't necessarily even play their best game. I think this defense, seeing Husky, you, it was. Something felt weird, and they they pointed out like five minutes in, it was just like Mike Hopkins isn't playing the zone anymore, and I was like, oh yeah, and this defense, like seeing Wilhelm Breidenbach blocking shots, like they've got some legit defenders on this team. Frank Kepnong, like you mean Wilhelm Breidenbach? There we go. He's a beast. They just this roster has so many dudes, and I do feel like that's kind of the secret to winning in college basketball. I mean, they were able to survive some injuries in this one. Severe Wheeler sat out. Uh, Percy Allen reported that he suffered an injury in practice. Wesley Yates III sat out again. That's a bit more of a long concern and then long-term concern. And then Braxton Mia played off the bench in this one due to an ankle sprain. Really didn't see a lot of action, I think only in the first half of this one. So uh, they were able to get by without him because Breidenbach was strong on the glass, eight boards for him. Uh, Frank Kepnong, first real game since his ACL tear was flying around out there nine points Did, four he five shooting spry that was I, again a little wow he's back at Purdue oh Just yeah go to the NBA dude do they want him more than they want Drew Timmy is Drew Timmy still at Gonzaga no he's not he's in the G League okay <laughs> you could you, you could have to, told me that Drew Timmy was still at Gonzaga <laughs> and I would have been you could have we could have done the whole preview of the game that would have been a good bit and I would have been like, I would have never known. I would have complained to people about Drew Timmy. <laughs> uh, so Keon Brooks Jr. had a match. The team had a very slow start. Two field goals in the first half. Poor shooting. Uh, finished with 22 points on 9 of 15 shooting. Yes. Corin Johnson 
game high 25 points 10 of 14 from the field five of eight from three one of my big concerns and obviously severe wheeler sat out this game so that changed the rotation but when they added wheeler when they added paul mulcahy anthony holland who uh played off the bench in this one like is corn johnson gonna like get lost in the mix and then end up transferring after the season and like the one local high school recruit we have on the roster is going to be gone. I'm no longer worried about that. Corin Johnson is too fucking good. He has to play and has to play a lot for this team. Even if he's I not mean, he's starting going to, he scored 25 points. Like he's going to be an integral part of the offense, but also Nate Kelmy's off the bench, 13 points, five of seven shooting four steals in this one. That speaks to what you're talking about, that they can withstand some of these injuries and still put out a, a rotation of competent NCAA basketball players. And I think the difference that you would see from almost any other time, any other Mike Hopkins team, is the three-point shooting. They didn't shoot a ton of them. Well, I guess they maybe did. 10 of 20. No, that's not a ton. 10 of 20. I don't know what they averaged last year, but it's not a ton. On threes. Shooting 50% for three, which is unheard of for a UW team. I mean, Corin Johnson at five of eight. Right? Like, if, can Corn Johnson actually shoot? I think so. Is this real? He was Is there a, a shooter at the University of Washington? He was making a bunch of them when I saw him play at the Nike Hoop Summit in those in those scrimmages as part of the Portland Generals practice squad. He's like the first good shooter at UW since C.J. Wilcox. I don't know if we have to go back that far. Uh, they averaged 21 attempts a game last season. And what did they shoot on those 21 percent. There we go. Between defense, a little bit of playmaking, and threes, I feel like UW has a team here. I, I'm i optimistic, too. Yeah. Even Paul Mulcahy. I was looking at him at first. I was on high alert. High <laughs> alert looking at Paul Mulcahy. And then I was like, all right, yeah, actually, you're okay. He, he had a play where, were you watching when this happened? It was like near the end of the first half, and he ended up driving. It was like a pretty athletic play. He went up for a reverse layup, got the foul. And I was like... Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, look, this guy was a long-term starter at Rutgers who missed him tonight as Rutgers lost to Princeton in their opener. Oh, no. Not that that's, I mean, that's, that's Big Ten, that Big Ten basketball shaken. Well, you know who else lost at home in their season opener? Who is that? Michigan State. Oh, no. Isn't Michigan State kind of bad now? No, they were top five team coming into the country. Who did they lose to? Uh, they lost to James Madison, not just a football team. Uh, Spartans fans Let's were going, just see if there's a Big 12 invite out there. They were going through the whole fall like, okay, this football season has been rough. Uh, obviously, the ugliness uh, of what happened there off the field. Let's just get to Batman's basketball season. And then you're waiting all that time and they lose the opener to James Madison. <sighs> I mean, if anybody deserves to be cursed, it is Michigan State University. That is, that is very fair. I'm just throwing that out there. That is aggressively fair. Uh, so the Huskies continue this homestand Thursday. They host Northern Kentucky. The Norse won the Horizon League, were number 16 seed in last year's NCAA tournament, losing 63-52 to 52 to Houston. I can't wait to talk myself into this being a good team, too. In a competitive game. Oh, <laughs> this is a good Not team. a competitive game, but this whether the Huskies crush them, play a close game, lose, whatever. No matter what, I will talk about how this is a good team. <laughs> I mean, you will be correct. I'll be like, the, the Norse, are, they're really actually a pretty solid team. Uh, I guess they were not rated that much higher than Bellarmine. Uh, they also lost their opener at Middle Tennessee State by 17 tonight so uh that's not a great sign uh they were picked by coaches in the media as the preseason favorites to repeat in the horizon albeit without a majority of the first place votes lost two starters from that team but retained guards marcus warwick and sam vinson they're two double digit scorers 
Warwick averaged 18.8 points on 38% three-point shooting, so someone to watch on Thursday night. Sunday, Nevada comes to town. Uh, they entered the season. They entered the season ranked 11 spots ahead of the Huskies in Ken Palm after making the NCAA tournament for the first time under Steve Alford and losing to Arizona State in the first four. They bring back three starters from that team, including leading scorer Jared Lucas and leading sister Keenan Blackshear. Wolfpack opened the season Tuesday night against Sacramento State. So that's that's legitimately a good team. That's an actual barometer game. UW yeah, wins I mean, that game, and, other, and we're feeling better about where other things than are Gonzaga. Going. That's UW's most marquee non-conference. Home more game. more than the. St. Mary's San Diego State game in the well, tournament. Those aren't home games. I'm saying home game. Okay, home game. Yeah. What day is that? That is Sunday night. Okay. A lot of sports that I'm not going to see this weekend. <laughs> yes. So many sports you won't see. I'm going to see Tizo touchdown. All right. Not a sport. No, let's talk about the Seahawks. A game that neither of us really saw. Because you were, you said you were able to listen to this. Yeah. On the plane. Yes. Okay, so you had enough Wi-Fi to stream the audio, but not the video. Yes, I couldn't even find the video. I had I had NFL Red Zone going for a little while. It was a beautiful thing. And then we started going up in the air, and I was like, oh, I'll just reload Red Zone. It would be perfect. Then it was like, uh-uh-uh. Sorry. I see these people all the time talking about how they like streamed games on planes. I managed to do it last year when I went to Vegas. I watched the Texas-Alabama game. Why is that never me? I don't know. Why am I always listening to a podcast playing a game on my phone? I got upgraded to first class on that one, so I don't know if the Wi-Fi is better. The Wi-Fi is better. Things are just a little bit nicer up here. <laughs> Honestly, the, if back where I was sitting in row 30 or whatever, the, no Wi-Fi made it to me. <laughs> the, the card came through with Wi-Fi. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was very empty at that point. They had dial-up. You forgot to reserve your uh, <laughs> It was an Wi-Fi. AOL CD that they handed to me. <laughs> You forget to reserve your Wi-Fi 24 hours in advance. I did the save a spot. Does it, I could not recommend it. Not not recommend it enough. <laughs> Every single person on the fucking flight at MVP. I just sometimes you know like you know that a lot of people have MVP, but you do kind of feel like royalty when you get on a plane when you have MVP. You know what I mean? And people who have Absolutely. actual good status, like that's nothing, right? It's twenty thousand miles. It's easy to get. It is. But like people, you just you just. You're like 5% smug. (laughs) You can't tell me you're not. You go sit in your exit row every time, and you just go plop yourself down. You're like, yeah, I'm the exit row. I know that you do it. I I don't. I really don't. Well, I was in row 30, and I felt what it was like to see how the other half lived, and it wasn't great. (laughs) Uh, Uh, So I had red zone. I, I actually had, like, I had signed up for Paramount Plus last month, to watch Seahawks Bengals, uh-huh. and then forgot did, to cancel it, it. It didn't work on there. Did it work for you? What well, didn't because I was in LA, which was one of like three markets in the country that did not get the Seahawks Ravens game. Yeah, that's that's that was the issue for me too. <laughs> yeah. So I just had. The I was red in zone. like straight up like Reddit streams, shit like that. Like I was trying to load illegal streams, and nothing would load. It was a good day to not be able to pay much attention to the second half because I was at Disneyland. Let me tell you that because it, there didn't seem to be a lot to pay attention to. So without seeing any of the individual plays, I understood exactly how this game was going. And as I pulled up the radio broadcast at the end of the first quarter and everybody, Ben was talking about how things were like the defense was playing really well. It's like dogfight or whatever. And I was like... 
my my I my senses were tingling about this one, and I was like, the Seahawks are playing a defensive battle. The Ravens are about to explode. I could feel it. You know what I mean? Did you feel that too after the first quarter? Or it was no. like, I I just I'm smart enough to know. Look, the stats won yesterday. If we want to talk about anything, it is that the advanced stats understood very clearly where the Seahawks were. I think they probably overrated the offense a little bit. And they understood even more clearly where the Baltimore Ravens are. We'll have an interesting conversation now when we get there. But yeah, I mean, look, the Ravens now the third highest DVOA through the first nine weeks of the season on record. Of all time. Excluding nobody. So, oh, <laughs> the two teams ahead of them. <laughs> Well, it was third highest, excluding nobody. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> third Fine. highest, excluding nobody. Fine. If you must. Uh, they're just really fucking good. And that that was kind of my takeaway. I saw Jackson Smith and Jigba drop that pass on the first drive that he bobbled. Did you see this? I didn't see it, no. And I was just like, this isn't this isn't going well. I knew they were going to lose this game, right? Like maybe I should have been more extreme about it on the podcast last week. I was filled with hope, and as we were there, I thought to myself, as Keaton Mitchell ran for nine carries and 138 yards, sure would be nice to have that second round pick next year, because yeah. I will tell you, this was a game. It was a it was a it was a come to Jesus game for the Seahawks and their Super Bowl chances. You know what I mean? Because there's teams out there that are not even as good as the Ravens that are so much better than they are. I was watching Philadelphia-Dallas, and there is a reality. Look, they might beat some of these teams. I think the Niners are probably a tier behind a lot of the teams that we're talking about at the very top. The Seahawks are not in that group. They're in a third or fourth group in the NFL right now. We have to be honest about it because... Teams that are actually competing for a Super Bowl, that are looking for a last piece, trading for 30-year-old defensive linemen, do not lose games 37-3. to And do I think the Seahawks will make the playoffs? Yes, I do. Do I think that the Seahawks can get lucky enough to win a game in the playoffs? Probably. Do I think the Seahawks are going to the Super Bowl with this team? It would be... It would require very strange circumstances to happen. The only thing that, the only positive, not the only positive, looking forward, the only thing that you can look at and say, okay, this feels good about the rest of the season is sometimes teams get better throughout the year, but oftentimes they don't. The Seahawks probably are what they are. They probably don't have the quarterback. They have a lot of good young pieces in place. They have some older pieces in place that they need to fix, but that's a reality of where they are. This is year two of a rebuild. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, that is what this is. It is an extraordinarily young roster, and I don't... I'm upset that the Seahawks lost that thread for a second last week. Yeah, it's like they they just really can't help themselves sometimes because, look, they had a lot of opportunities to not do this rebuild. Going back to the decision to make the Russell Wilson trade in the first place, they could have traded some of those picks for veterans. I think that rebuild was happening one way or another, but I think Russell Wilson might have made that rebuild happen. Well, fair point. I, I, I take your point to that. But they've chosen the long view on a lot of these decisions. Now, as I noted, you know they've also interspersed a lot of veteranosity into this group. I, I yeah. think I saw a weighted They're age good. Stat. They were trying to middle it, and it might work. Sorry, what were you saying? But they, they just like lost self-control. They just saw Brock Purdy 
and the Miners lose three games in a row, and they f- they fell all over themselves trying to take advantage of Here's that window. The thing. I don't know if they're necessarily wrong. Because about the Niners? I don't know if they're necessarily wrong about the NFC West. They might win the NFC West. I don't know if it's likely, but I think it's probably more likely than people are giving it credit for. Again, the Niners still have a hard schedule. I'm just not sure that they're necessarily that good of a team. But the you, know Niners, about, you know who else has a hard schedule? The Niners have the Ravens on the schedule. They have it at home instead of on the road. Okay, but that's but like, one game. Uh, no, the, 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 Niners the thing have the 49ers have on the also. schedule is two games against the Seahawks. We will that's see what they have against the, the most schedule. likely outcome is they probably split those games. I mean, yes, it is. But there is a chance. There, it's not. This game doesn't necessarily change for me whether the Seahawks win the NFC West or not because we were chalking it up as an L before going in. This is a road game against the third best team in NFL history. In what scenario yeah, do you think that the Geno Smith-led Seahawks were going to win that game? It, there's a difference between winning the game and getting embarrassed in the game. There's a wide gulf between those two things that they could have operated in. I do in. agree with that. And, and basically what we have to do with this game is we have to throw it out the window because... There's a reality here similar to the Huskies. They just, there's no moral victories at this point of the season. There's no worrying about what they are. They have to beat the Commanders, which we'll talk about, to get to 6-3. and three. That is a must-win game as far as the playoffs are concerned, and the division is concerned. And then they've got to pick some of these games off against really good teams. But this, the difference between the Seahawks and the Huskies is, look, the Huskies is all about what happens in these next three plus whatever games and then reset after the season. The Seahawks are, as with the decision to trade for Leonard Williams... They're not going to trade for Leonard Williams again. But they're making decisions about the future of their organization based on what happens the rest of this season. So that's why the process matters. And obviously the biggest question I'm, right I'm now is, is Geno, Geno Smith going to be the quarterback of the Seahawks going forward? Not, there, there not next so week. Many weeks. There are so many weeks to figure that out that I feel like it's a stupid conversation to have right now. Right? There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks. There's more of the season left. It's more of a question to monitor, but it certainly is interesting that Pete Carroll at this point has come out so defensive of Geno Smith. And I do think... It is too early to even consider benching Geno Smith. Yeah, I agree with that. The Seahawks failed offensively in this game as a team, not strictly at the quarterback position. You mentioned the Jackson Smith and Jigba drop, the miscommunication with Tyler Lockett that led to the interception that, frankly, I spoke into existence by even mentioning that Geno did... It was Geno Stone. I picked him. Oh, You didn't realize that? Yeah. I, so that was the first ever Gino on Gino interception I, in NFL I history. I it into existence. Wow. I think, I, again, when you're hearing on the radio, Steve Rebel's so, like, he's obviously, like, on the Seahawks' side, and something bad will happen. He's just like, it's a pass, and it's picked. And you can just, like, it's so crestfallen that it doesn't, he's like. This th- is a funny thing about the USC game that I mentioned. They play the highlights of their previous drive from their, their radio broadcaster, uh, the legendary Pete Arbogast, who is, Probably the most reserved broadcaster of the home team <laughs> I have ever heard. Like Caleb Williams is out there, like shaking off three defenders and completing this touchdown pass. Is like Williams gets away and it's caught for a touchdown. <laughs> yes. Like come on, Literally man! Saying information. Give me some, That's some kind, excitement kind of what what raves. It's, it's like the turnovers. He got very but excited. You got, about. you got it from the vibes. Is is what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Is the contrast. Uh I, I don't even think it makes sense to have this conversation about Geno Smith. You just have to look at the Lions game that happened. Do you think that the Lions are a worse team now than you did before that game? Or do you think that the Ravens are really fucking good? 
I think the Ravens are really fucking good, but I think the Lions have also some questions about whether Jared Goff is the guy to get them to the next level. They just have a lot more outs to get there, as it turns out, even if they uh, tend to trade up that, with... They trade up with theirs instead of trading for veterans. That that was kind of like... I, I don't know. I think the Ravens might be so good that they're an anomaly. That you have to throw this game out. I mean, I think the one thing that I will say, to your point about the offense versus the defense... This is rankings. I didn't look at the actual like percentages because it would require like an ar- the internet archive, and I'm I'm not ready to do that level of research. The the defense dropped more than the offense after this game because the atonement adjustment on the Ravens is so strong. The offense is tenth in DVOA. The defense is nineteenth, and I think people got a little high on the defense for beating up on a lot of backup quarterbacks. I, I although Josh Dobbs maybe is an amazing backup quarterback. Who knows? Who can say at this point? I I do sort of agree with that, and then at the same time, I I don't know. Baltimore's just it's a really hard game going into Baltimore, the cross country trip, the ten a.m. start. All but that of those hasn't things. been a problem for them in the past. Certainly wasn't a problem. Lamar for them in Jackson right now. I I assume he's the favorite for MVP at this point. He is playing out of his mind football. And has been playing that way all season, right? They lost the one but he game. He hasn't been playing. We like we looked at the stats. He hasn't been playing. That they way lost all the season. one game because his receivers ended up dropping every single pass. But watching that, I was like, there was. I think that was the Steelers game that they lost. I, as I was watching the game, I was like, if Lamar, if these receivers, a couple of them, caught these passes, they would have won by two touchdowns. So, I I don't know. Baltimore's just really good. And I think Baltimore is at a different level than the Niners, the Cowboys, the Eagles as well. I think they are at a level all on their own right now. And so by being on that level, a lot can happen. Because, again, it's week 10 of the NFL season. And the one positive to take away from this is teams change throughout the year. We didn't even know who Brock Purdy was at this point last year. I mean, that that is true. NFL seasons are long, and they're only getting longer. Uh, So Patrick uh, Mahomes is the favorite for MVP. Lamar Jackson tied for second with Jalen Hurts. Okay. Still, it's pretty good. Yeah. And it's I don't even actually think Mahomes is playing particularly well. So I don't I get it. And betting markets are probably betting on him being good and then improving or whatever. But like I think Lamar Jackson's probably outperforming Mahomes so far this year. I don't know. I mean his advanced stats weren't that great but coming into last week. I think I think you're a little higher on his performance than than you should be. A couple of Not things. That he's poorly. A couple of things went sideways, and the Ravens just ended up crushing the Seahawks. Gino got some balls batted down. This a couple of things went sideways. I don't believe because the Seahawks were averaging like two fucking yards per play the entire first half. No, That's they, not a couple of but, things but going also, sideways. The offensive line is a bad healthy. process. I don't think Ken Walker is the right running back for that type of game. I told you that going in. It's not like Charbonnet played better. Like I couldn't take a victory lap because Charbonnet also had bad stats. But like Ken Walker was legitimately bad in the game. I don't know. There's There really is no positive to take away from that one individual game. The only positive is they have a much easier game this week, and they have a much easier game the week after, and then we'll see. <laughs> right? And then we'll see the Seahawks story. Uh, Lamar Jackson currently 10th in the EPA plus CPOA composite. So Those numbers are just bonkers. Uh, the Washington Commanders are 26. We're, we're moving on. Yeah. All right. I, I, I thought that's what you were saying. That's okay. the. Then we'll see. 
Washington Commanders are 26th in DVOA, dropped two spots last week despite beating the Patriots 20-17 to to improve to 4-5 and five on the season. Their four wins have come by a combined 17 points. They have lost two games by at least 17 points individually, including at home to the Bears on Thursday Night Football. Their best win, probably 24-16 over the Falcons in Atlanta. There's not a lot to choose from. But Sam Howell has been not bad, fine. 15th in EPA plus CPOA composite, one spot ahead of Geno. Almost identical statistical profiles as well, with the interesting exception of success rate. Howell's 22nd there at 44%, Smith's 10th there at 49%, which I think speaks to the Seahawks' third down issues, where those are bigger swings in terms of EPA per play, but don't have disproportionate effect on success rate. Howell leads all quarterbacks in the NFL with 353 pass attempts, including 40 plus five of the last six weeks, which has been great for my team that picked him up in fantasy. He's therefore second in total yards, but 19th in the NFL in yards per attempt. He's tied for the most interceptions in the NFL, but on a per play rate is throwing them less frequently than Geno. His 44 sacks taken are 14 more than anyone else in the NFL, and the 11% sack rate is third highest among qualifying quarterbacks. So that's a situation where the Seahawks, particularly playing at home in front of that crowd, need to get after Sam Howell repeatedly in this one. Uh, Terry McLaurin, easily his top option with 70 targets, catching 67% of them for 8.1 yards per target. Uh, targets for Jahan Dotson, their number two receiver, has been muscle have been much less protective, using yielding 6.3 yards per apiece. Well, a healthy tight end, Logan Thomas, is the reliable short option, catching 72% of his targets, albeit for just 9.4 yards per reception. Washington's run game fairly average statistically. Brian Robinson Jr. has gotten the vast majority of the carries while averaging 4.0 yards per attempt. The real surprise is this Washington defense, which has been much ballyhooed over the years, ranking 29th in defensive DVOA, same spot and drop back EPA against, which helps explain Washington's decision to trade off Edges, Montez Sweat, and Chase Young prior to the trade deadline. Despite their presence, the Commanders ranked 24th in pass rush win rate, 28th in run stop win rate entering last week. Young was 11th in pass rush win rate and had five sacks. Sweat had six and a half. Their departure leaves Casey Tuhill with four as the commander's remaining leader. Unsurprisingly, they did not sack Mac Jones on 44 dropbacks on Sunday. I think this one's shaking up kind of nicely overall. To come up, to come off that Baltimore game, uh, look, look nearby in the D.C. area and see the Washington commanders there, I think this is a very, very good situation for the Seahawks of a team to be coming into town. Secondary is ahead. I mean, you know, a lot of the damage... Lamar did good, but like you kind of have to look at the linebackers and the defensive line a little bit more than the secondary in that game against the Seahawks. The secondary still is going to be fine, and they're going to be especially fine against Sam Howe. Big plays are incoming this week. There's going to be the picks. There's going to be possibly defensive touchdowns. They'll just have a lot of chances for them also. Yeah. I, I think the one thing that doesn't profile well is the Washington defense fairly average in terms of run defense. And you know, I think the Seahawks would really like to get that run game going again early and use that to set up play action because like everyone else in the NFL, they continue to believe that is necessary. I mean, it, it would be, this is going to be a better one for Gino as well. Oh yeah. Not, not having that kind of pass rush, you know, like he was swarmed constantly, even watching the highlight of the DK Metcalf under throw or whatever in the end zone, seeing Charles cross, just like he was, he was backing up for his life on that play. <laughs> How could you could see offensive linemen when they're scared 
And that that was the type of play where he was just he was taking such a huge drop on that one. And Gino trying to get it out, it was coming instantly. And whether the line is healthy or not this week, whether Abe Lucas is back or not, he's he won't be back this week. I think there's an outside chance, but I mean, there's a chance he practices this week. I don't think it's realistic to expect him to play in the game. This is going to be a different kind of game. There's not going to be one catch for DK Metcalf, three for Tyler Lockett, right? Like, they are going to... Tyler Lockett... These are unheard of stats for Tyler Lockett, the three receptions and eight targets. You know, that that means he's getting balls just like prayers being thrown to him or whatever. Yeah. The ball basically being thrown away. They're going to have time to create separation. Gino's going to have time to do his thing. I think the offense is going to look good this week, and I think they're going to comfortably win this one against Washington. Yeah, they're also allowing 12.0 yards per completion, the fourth most in the NFL. So opportunity for big plays through the air in this one. Uh, percentage chances of victory? Like 77%. I'm not quite that optimistic. Let's go 70%. And again, it's it's a big one to win. I mean, the Washington's been giving up points. They lost to the Bears 40-20. Like, that's that's kind of what this team is. They've given up. 35 33 to the broncos obviously they played the eagles twice already and have given up 30 plus in both of those like i think this will be a get right kind of game for the seahawks and just move on from that baltimore one i'm sure they had a lot of fun until really the move truth. on from the stretch of playing the top two defenses in the nfl back to yes absolutely the schedule has been favorable for the seahawks more in terms of off their the seahawks defense the offenses they faced yes. than the defenses they faced and that's about to change a little bit uh what what is the the Tuesday where you move on? Tell the truth Tuesday. No, that's tell the truth yeah, tell Monday. The, uh, yeah, you're right. You really passed off the alliteration there. I don't know. I, I was reading Win Forever on this on this road trip, but I haven't gotten to that chapter yet. Okay. The defenses, <laughs> even though they are playing against good teams, the Niners, the Cowboys, the Eagles, until they play the Steelers on New Year's, they're not necessarily at that same level. As what they've seen so far. I mean, they literally played the two best defenses in the NFL in back-to-back weeks, right? Yeah, they did. I mean, I don't think Cleveland dropped out of there. But then you look at the defensive. Where's defensive DPOA rank? Wow, the Broncos. Uh, Cowboys are still pretty good. But beyond that, none of those other teams are anywhere. Niners are 15th. The Eagles are 21st. That I'll tell you that Eagles defense yesterday looked like you could move the ball against them. So they're much better offenses, but at the same time, the defenses are going to be nowhere near the number one and number two in back-to-back weeks. Do people really think Drew Locke is good? Like, are they, is this just like columnist shit, or do people actually think Drew Locke is good at quarterbacking? I don't know. I just saw the uh, saw. Jim Moore calling for the Seahawks to bench Geno Smith. Already? Just to bench him? Yeah. I, I think there's a point that it makes sense to try it out, but we have come nowhere near that point. I agree. All right, let's wrap up by looking ahead with the Huskies, uh, starting with an injury update. Jalen McMillan did not travel for the USC game, and offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb told reporters Monday that McMillan is seeking a second opinion on his knee injury. Uh, with him absent, Giles Jackson did play giving the Huskies just one more regular season game with Jackson if they want to utilize a red shirt and retain his sixth and final season of eligibility. So, I, you know, what what they learn on McMillan will certainly influence that decision, but also you kind of got to try to win these games, as you've outlined. Uh, AC Turner will not be back this week per Kalen DeBoer. 
Uh, backup safety Cam Fabiculanen played just one snap on Saturday as the Huskies largely moved Mishael Powell to free safety with Jabbar yeah. Muhammad playing the Husky slash nickel position. That left them vulnerable on the perimeter at corner, something USC exploited in a way Utah might not this weekend. Uh, we'll we'll see if they continue to go with that one. Obviously not as strong a run combination, which might also be uh, an issue. Uh, Vince Nunley also potentially back in the mix after he played some snaps last week. Tuli Leitu Lasanoa played 14 snaps, according to PFF, and co-defensive coordinator Chuck Morales said the hope is he might double that this week. Okay. Uh, Utah, the back-to-back Pac-12 champs, have played the entire season without starting quarterback Cam Rising after he suffered an ACL tear in the Rose Bowl. Utes had hoped he would return before ruling him out for the season in October. Utah started 4-0 without him, without allowing more than 13 points in any game, including a win over UCLA, before losing 21-7 at Oregon State. They bounced back to win 34-32 at USC and begin this uh, and I guess continue this streak for the Trojans before getting crushed 35 to six at home by Oregon. Then followed that up by a 55 to six domination happened? of Arizona. How did that happen? So part of it is that Utah's defense is very good. Yeah. And their offense seems to be improving a little bit. Also part of it, Trenton Borgay, who has not been playing well for Arizona state, but has been playing adequately. Yeah. Has been playing, you know, uh, He's been playing for Arizona State. He got hurt early in this one, and I returned see. to I think their third, their fourth string quarterback because I think Drew Pine might still be injured. I let me go see if I can dig up this box score. But there was like names at quarterback I did not recognize from my Arizona State prep, and let me tell you, it did not go super well for them. Yes, Jacob Conover was playing at quarterback for them. He completed five of 22 passes for 41 yards in an interception. Oh, my God. <laughs> five of 22 passes? Five of 22 it's like passes. like Geno Smith-level stats. Oh, boy. Uh, as a team, they completed eight of 29 passes for 40 yards, a 1.4 yards per pass average. <laughs> All right, but we'll talk about the Utah defense in a second. Let's start with their quarterback situation. Fourth-year sophomore Bryson Barnes, who replaced Rising in the Rose Bowl, opened the season as the starter before redshirt freshman Nate Johnson replaced him in the fourth quarter at Baylor while trailing. After leading a comeback win, Johnson started the next three games before giving way to Barnes during the loss at Oregon State. Barnes has remained the starter ever since. Either way, certainly not a a dynamic passing attack. The Utes rank ninth in the Pac-12 in completion percentage, last by a wide margin in passing yards per game. Barnes, ninth of 11 qualifying Pac-12 quarterbacks in QBR, and Utah is 10th of Pac-12, among Pac-12 teams in FBI offensive efficiency. Last week might have been the most impressive performance for that Utah offense, which had 6.7 yards per play, the second most Arizona State has given up all year behind USC. They also had the second best yards per play that USC has given up behind only UW. Uh, those games much more about the rushing offense for Utah, easily the run heaviest team in the Pac-12, running on more than 60% of plays. They ran for 247 yards at USC and 352 last week against Arizona State. The two losses have seen the Utes average 2.8 yards per carry against Oregon, 1.8 at Oregon State with sub-100 rushing yards in both of those games. 
Jaquindon Jackson is taking over as their lead running back. Has averaged 5.3 yards per carry, but really watch out for two-way player Sione, Sione Vaki, who has averaged 8.1 yards per carry and 24 yards per reception out of the backfield is both a traditional running back and a wild quarterback, in addition to starting at safety. Uh, he has seven and a half tackles for loss this season and an interception. Didn't run at all on Saturday against Arizona State. They Have didn't to. Need, to need him, but he's been a big part of Utah's offensive. It's definitely over the course very of the much a Shaq Thompson type situation. I think people are more comparing it to Miles Jack, but yeah, Shaq Thompson as well. Because Miles Jack was really still more of a luxury on offense. It was just like Shaq Thompson him. was the lead running back for the Huskies. Right. I mean, he has not gotten to that point yet. So. But that was a situation where, like, this guy's really good on defense, but we need him desperately on offense. So we're going to play him there. Uh, the Utah de- defense ranks ninth in the country in FPI efficiency and improvement for last year's team, which finished 16th. Under Kyle Whittingham, they have ranked in the top 25 at nine of the last 10 seasons defensively. So there's your, there's your Big Ten defense in the Pac-12. I mean, they beat USC. Their run defense ranks third among Pac-12 teams in EPA per play. Their pass defense is the best in the conference in that regard. Opponents are completing just 55% of attempts, the 10th lowest in FBS, but lowest in the Pac-12 by a mile. Their yards per completion is fairly unremarkable, so maybe some ability to beat them deep, but uh, that wasn't really the formula for either Oregon or USC, who simply moved the ball regularly with high completion percentages in both of those games. Utah is 14th in FBS in sacks, with breakout star Jonah Ellis responsible for 11.5 of them, good for third in FBS after coming into this season with four in his career. He nearly matched that with 3.5 against UCLA alone. So that will be a challenge for this UW offensive line that, that was pretty effective, I think, for the most part on Parker Saturday. Parker Brailsford especially. <laughs> yes. Noted that. Uh, Utah's scary. I don't really know how else to describe it. Yeah. This after USC, this was the other game that we kind of had circled. Uh, obviously, Oregon as well, but like this was the one that early on. Wait, but or this before Oregon? No, 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 no. Oregon's like an obvious, yeah, or whatever. Okay. I kind of meant the the second half of the season after beating Oregon. Uh, Oregon State's really good too. I know. Schedule is very hard. Every every game is scary, but the next week is the most important game in each one. I think that's the formula for the Huskies to win this one is just do their thing, pick up, be a little bit aggressive as far as like going for fourth downs, things like that, making sure that they score, picking up third downs uh, when they get in those third and short situations and letting Michael Penix, uh, you know, do his thing on third downs where he's able to find receivers for seven yards if it's third and six. An interesting thing about Saturday, last Saturday's game is it felt to me like USC was relying much more on converting third and short. But then I, you looked at the stats and UW actually had way more third down completions than USC did. I kind of thought that too. And, and, and attempts. It wasn't just that they were converting them at a higher percentage. They were in that situation more. UW, is, they're very good at it. And it's not necessarily the most reliable thing over a super, super long period of time. But this offense is able to move so well that it kind of is. They're able to hit Roma Dunze in those situations. They're able to hit Jack Westover in those situations. I didn't see a ton of Jack Westover. On Saturday, Josh Cuevas played a surprising amount. I was surprised by that. I think the thing that makes me the most scared about Utah is the sustained drives and just limiting the game, right? If if Utah is able to take six, seven minutes, run the ball a ton, score a touchdown, and then turn and then 
quick three and out for you, Dub. That's the kind of situation that we need to be really, really wary of. So the hope is that UW can just get out ahead in this game early and kind of take that away just a little bit. If they can get a turnover early, a couple of punts, something like that, and get that two-score lead that we talked about with USC, I think it's a totally different type of ball game. That's 100%. what Oregon did to them. Is it can I think the wheels can fall off for Utah in a game like that because they don't have that explosive offense. Yes. If it's a close game, all of a sudden things are very, very scary. So I think it really comes down to that UW has to score early and they have to score. A, I mean, they always have to score on every drive. That's kind of how this is set up or whatever. But like they can get a couple of touchdowns early. And if it was like a 14 to three type game, something like that, I think that things could, could end up okay. Obviously being at home is huge, forcing Bryson Barnes to do this here against a good team. And then the defense showing up, hopefully making a play of some kind would be monster. Which look, they have done that the usc win was on the road oregon so. ran the ball against them though right they ran the ball you know well not outstanding uh 27 carries for 142 yards overall bo Nix was pretty much a non-factor bucky irving had 14 for 83 so it's not like a team that you can't run on but obviously the oregon run game is better than uw's run game over the course of the season by far I mean, I think the way I feel about Utah is they're kind of the football version of the Miami Heat. Like, if you let play a rock fight and let them play that kind of style, they yes. can definitely beat you, even though they're less talented. But if you're like Denver in the NBA Finals last year, there's a level of firepower that you can get to that they just can't match. So USC did have not have that firepower, though. They did not. For what it's worth. I mean, again, that's USC's defense. They only scored 32 points against USC as well in USC. And there's there's kind of something about that one that it's going to look a little bit different. Their offense just can't move that way. But like... Oregon also made Vaki a non-factor. Five carries for 11 yards in that game as opposed to you look at his influence in their other recent wins... Uh, the USC game, if I'm pulling this up here, if it loads for me at some point here. Oh, we've got his, only got his defensive stats on ESPN. This is a, this is a problem. Got to go to sports reference. So fill a little bit here. I, I just kind of look at the Oregon game, though, and the, the touchdowns that they scored early, where they came down, drove all the way down the field. You The game was over after basically at the end of the first half. There was almost no chance in them coming back. When you saw Oregon come down and score that drive immediately against their defense, it's not an easy thing to do, but I think UW's offense is just as good as Oregon's and is capable of doing something like that and punching in. We'll see Dylan Johnson from here on out as well. You know, I'm not willing to just say that that's like a one-game anomaly from Dylan Johnson. I think this is something that UW wants to do against teams. Vaki against Cal, 15 carries for 158 yards against USC. Cal's defense is low-key very bad, right? Uh, it's not great. Nine carries for 68 yards, five catches for 149 yards, and two touchdowns against the USC defense. So, The the run game is stoppable, though. You talked about that. Jaquin and Jackson was 12 for 37 against Oregon. Sione Vaki was 5 for 11 against Oregon. It's like, beat us, right? Throw over the top. Yeah. Do that. Beat but you've got to be able to tackle to make that work as well. I don't know. Does Oregon have a much better tackling team than UW? I don't know. I guess we'll see. But like, just 
stop the run. And if if Utah is going to beat you, you have to make Bryson Barnes do it. Certainly at this point, you would say the biggest difference between UW and Oregon is that the Oregon defense is much better. FBI efficiency, they're rated 16th. UW, after Saturday, despite playing a very good USC offense, dropped to 41st in defense. Where's UW offense? Fourth. And Oregon is third. Like I do the, not want to see Oregon again. Like they're basically the same offensively. And this is what we talked about. Who's ahead of them? Who are the two teams ahead of them? Michigan and LSU. LSU is wow, really good LSU. offensively. I did not know that, but really bad. They're they're even more lopsided than USC. 99th defensively. So I do love the panic that we've had at various times about UW offense being Oh my god. <laughs> about the <laughs> thanks, ESPN.com. Uh <laughs> But the panic that we've had about the UW offense as they rank fourth in the country. I said it last week. People pay too much attention to the direction of things and not enough to the overall. And my concern coming out of the Stanford game was 100% about the defense. And it remains about the defense. Not from The other thing I want to say at the end of this pod as we wrap up here is like, I don't want us to get to the point where it's defined with, like the Huskies not going to the college football playoff as a failure of a season. Like, it's not a 12-team playoff. It's really hard to do. So I don't think we should take for granted what this team is accomplishing, even if it doesn't ultimately result in a spot in the playoff. That's a conversation for if they lose a game. I'm just right wanna, now, I'm just we are having the conversation of just go and fucking win every week. Like Kalen DeBoer says, we just keep winning. That's all that matters right now. I don't care how it happens. It does not matter. Just keep winning. Winning, and that's what this team has done. I prefer season. it not include Connor Stallions. What? You, you don't know this? That's the guy. They were the guy in the Michigan. Scandal? Yeah, but I. You're saying that. I don't. I don't want them to cheat to win. No, but I mean that's not what's happening. I'm. Yeah. Michigan clearly is number one offense. Obviously, <laughs> the reading the defensive oh, side. Connor Stallions. So, but they just have to keep winning. I'm not going to worry about what the season means until later. We're having a fun time right now. Because they keep winning, and they're part of the conversation. They're ranked fifth in the country. Whether they should be higher or not, who knows. But I'm enjoying it right now. Well, I enjoyed last Saturday. That's for sure. Going into, yeah, I, I guess if that's what you're trying to say, is we, should, we shouldn't take for granted how unique it is to go into uh, USC at Memorial Coliseum and win a game like that against the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. It's not an easy thing to do. And it was an awesome victory this week. They have another very, very tough test against an extraordinarily good U- Utah team. And hopefully they get through it and they just keep winning. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.